how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Australian director Simon McQuoid got his start in the commercial world, making spots for all sorts of companies and games, including Star Wars, Call of Duty, and Halo 3. Eventually, he was asked to make the jump to film, with his debut being Mortal Kombat. The description for the reboot reads, MMA fighter Cole Young seats out Earth's greatest champions in order to stand against the enemies of Outworld in a high-stakes battle for the universe. In this interview, the director talks about drawing movie posters as a kid, how he transitioned from commercials to full features, why he did a Halo 3 ad for free, the power of accepting ideas from anywhere, and why he nearly avoided doing a video game adaptation as his first movie. Also, stay tuned for our next interview where we talk to Mortal Kombat star Joe Taslam, who plays Sub-Zero. I guess my uh, the earliest memories of really feeling like that urge to, oh, I really wanted to make those things was when my parents used to take me to a lot of films when I was quite young and it was actually going to see The Sting um, when I was, I was really young. And um, there was something about the way I did, I couldn't explain it at the time in my little pea brain that I had um, that, but there was something about the way the tone and the quality and the feeling you felt mm. through the assembly of all the different uh, aspects of how the film was made. So the music, the performances, the, the story, the, all that sort of stuff. So there was that. And then, then I would, I remember seeing, Tron, the original Tron as a kid as well, and just going back into the cinema three times. I just spent the whole I spent the whole day in the cinema going back in because I couldn't actually believe what I was seeing. It was kind of breathtaking. So and then yeah, I mean I would I would 
see a lot of films in them. And so I just, but when you're from Perth, Western Australia, well, when you grow up in the outermost suburb of the outermost city of the outermost country in the world, you don't really think to yourself, oh, that'll be, I'll be able to do that. I mean, it's just not even in your, you don't even contemplate it, that you can do that. <clears throat> so I enjoyed it for those reasons. And I, I, and then seeing Star Wars blew my mind, seeing Close Encounters blew my mind. Um, and it just sort of kept going from there, really. And then when I went on to study, work out what I was going to do after school, not particularly great at school, um, but I could draw and I was good at art. And um, in about year 10, I was about 15, 16. I just had this, I had this ability to draw, I could just start drawing things. And um, so I just started drawing movie posters. I thought, what's the closest thing I can get to with the ability I have, right? <laughs> um, so I would just make up movie ideas and make posters for them and I'd just draw them. And then um, then I just, then I got into graphic design school because it was like, well, there was no film school. It was, again, you just don't even think about it. It's like, it's like, thinking, oh, I'm going to go and live on Mars. You just can't do it. You just don't right. go there. So I studied graphic design and then I got into advertising because advertising gave me a job. You know? Yeah. Um, and and it was, um, yeah, my parents were very helpful in helping and guiding me through where they felt like my instincts were leading. Um, and they were instrumental in that. So, um that's kind of where I, that's a long-winded, waffly answer to your question. No, that's good. So I worked on commercials a couple of years ago. I was more like DIT, PA type stuff, but it seemed like the general vibe was it's really hard to transition to films. And I can't imagine how hard that is as a director. How did you kind of make that? I know it was something to do with the maybe a Star Wars commercial, but how did you make this big transition to work on Mortal Kombat? Yeah, so so just so I worked in advertising. I was an art director, and then I moved to the states and um, was a worked in. I lived in Minneapolis, and I lived in Boston, and then I moved to New York. And my wife and I lived in New York for twelve years. And so all through that process was I worked in agencies, and then I when I after a while in New York, I left and started directing commercials. And what what I found was the, I would, you just take any job. If anyone is going to actually think of you as a director, you will take the job, right? Um, you want me to direct something? Great. I've never done it before in my life, but I'll give it a go. But I'd done a few spec ads, um, which, what, which is what built, built the reel. So I'd done it a couple of times, I've never done it officially. So then I started directing those and then I realized actually what you tend to get sent, there's a lot of funny commercials, right? Mm -hmm. So I would be sent a lot of comedy stuff and and there were commercials that I did that people really liked and um, they were comedic, but I knew that wasn't really what I ultimately wanted to do. So I had to move, I had to recalibrate the trajectory of, of what I made. Mm -hmm. um, and there was always that element of comedy in what I did because I do like that that facet, but I don't want it to drive everything. <clears throat> um, but um, and then I did 
a really good friend of mine, a guy by the name of John Petroulis, an incredibly gifted um, creative director and writer in, in the US. We worked together at Shark Day in New York and I, I reached out to him because I knew I had to change the trajectory of what I was doing. And I said, is there anything at all you guys have got going there? Because he, he'd moved and was working on Xbox then and was doing some amazing commercials then with super talented people. And I, he said, yeah, we've got these couple of these scripts that everyone really likes, but we just don't feel we need them as part of the, well, John was saying, I think we need them, but you know, that everyone involved in the project sort of ran out of money and we're doing these other things over here, but you know, I'd still really love to do these things. And, and that's how, so I, I did it for nothing. I just did. And what it was is the, the launch of Halo 3. Um, and we ended up doing these things and the client was really good. They were just like, look, we love them, but we just, we've only got a certain budget. So I said, don't worry, I'll just do it for nothing. We'll work ahead. I don't need to be paid. I'll get paid in recalibrating my career. That's what I get paid in, right? right. So we did a couple of commercials for Halo that, um, they were really, really important in, in, and so that's kind of the first step. The reason I'm sort of taking it back here is because mm -hmm. that becomes the first step in oh, he doesn't just do comedy things, right? Mm -hmm. So then people really liked that. It did really well. Um, you know, people noticed it. And then um, what that taught me was there was a certain tone and feeling I'd always been searching for to try and create the thing I'd always been carrying in my mind. And that was as close as I ever got to it at that point. Mm. And I, because I was, well, one of the joys of doing it for nothing, people just leave you alone. Right. <laughs> like, well, we're not paying him. We've been not sort of, you know, give him all these, um, you know, notes. So, um, you know, it was great. So that was a, there was a good reason not to get paid was because I could just, it was very pure. It was a very pure thought. And, and John and the creative guys that he worked with at the time who wrote that, those scripts, which were brilliant, that we all just sort of, made this couple of commercials in, in its most pure form. Mm -hmm. So then they were done. And then from that, I got a PlayStation commercial where it was a lot of PlayStation characters all together. And, um, you know, people noticed that. And then that, that's what got me an agent. So agents reached out to me and the agent I still have, Dan Cohan, who is one of the loveliest guys in the world and is a, an amazing agent. Um, and just such a great guy. Um, he was the guy that really sort of, you know, really wanted me to basically was really keen to and said, you know, we could do something here. So from that point on, we've been on this pursuit to, to get a feature. And I've had a couple of things come in and fall over. Um, mm -hmm. Pretty sure every, every director in the world would would have that as part of what they're saying it's like you just it's just tough so then and then i'd said to dan kind of half jokingly but half serious like i don't think i should do a video game a video game adaptation as my first film <laughs> and then what we soon just just you know here i am um and what we soon discovered was actually by doing that actually narrowed the risk leap for a studio because right. there was an element of, oh, well, he understands that. The commercials I had been doing up to that point, and there was stuff I'd done for Call of Duty and stuff I'd done 
as a tie-in with Duracell, with Rogue One, the Star Wars Rogue One. Um, those things, I was always trying to make make features in short form. Right. So they all um, felt that and they felt like that. Um, anyway, so tonally it was, it was there. And then I think someone had said, oh, we really liked Simon Star Wars thing because they had emotion and so forth. So that's probably where that came up. But it was that sort of that body of work where um, it all started to feel more like films mm. and less like commercials. So I had enough of those. And that's why God got it. Were, were these true commercials? Were they like five minute internet commercials? Were they longer than a normal? Uh, well, there was, um, I can't remember now. No, Duracell was a 60 second, I think. Mm. And I think PlayStation, there was a longer version. There was like a 90 second version. Right. But still pretty short. Yeah. What do you, yeah. what, did, uh, yeah. did Dan know your story in terms of you kind of going out on a limb or was it all style? Is that like, did he reach out to you because he saw your style in, in one minute or less? I think that's what it was. I think he, he saw that commercial. He said he saw it. It, it ran in a basketball game that I guess everyone was watching mm. and he saw it whilst watching live television and there was this commercial came on and it was like shit. Right. So it was stylistically, I think he felt there was something in there that, um, you know, they um, made people notice, I guess. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I think it was that. Did you see, so coming on to this film, did you approach it as a very long commercial in terms of how you were trying to compartmentalize everything? How did you rely on your team and aspects like that for maybe things you haven't done with, I don't know how far you went with some of the CGI and the fight. There's so much going on in this movie for a first time you know, film director. Well, one of the things that I would always suffer from when I was doing commercials is I would overshoot everything. <laughs> I would always struggle to, um, to, to make it work in the, in the 60 seconds um, or 90 or 30. Um, and I would have to really, my instincts were always to try and do a longer form, but um, so I would have to really sort of be disciplined about making sure it all worked. And, you know, obviously they do, but otherwise, you know, um, people wouldn't hire me, but, but I, my inst so that's always there anyway, but I think there's what you do as a director, you, you hire people for their taste. And one of the things about, one of the great things about shooting commercials is I get to shoot a lot of commercials. Mm -hmm. And so therefore you get to succeed and fail and learn from those experiences. And so over, over the years, as I was doing these commercials, I would do some that would just be, you know, I'd be really happy with them. And then others that would just, I just think, why did that not work? some of the times it wasn't my fault some of the times it definitely was my fault you know I did things that I thought were going to work and they didn't and I didn't do this or I didn't do that or I didn't push myself there or so I'd always try and use those um, opportunities to learn from and think all right so why didn't that work I'll apply it next time and because of that process I realized actually by the time I got to the feature I actually knew exactly what I needed to worry about and what I didn't need to worry about and there were certain things because, um, you know, I'd done commercials that were like 14, 16 day shoots, mm -hmm. 18 day shoots. Um, and then you do some that are two or five. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but I'd done, I'd sort of knew now 
a 16 day shoot isn't the same as a hundred day shoot. Um, but it's kind of, kind of is, it's sort of, it isn't the same, but you know, it's, it wasn't, it just meant I got to do it more, which I loved because I loved doing it. So it was, right. there was no fatigue beyond, Oh my God, we're going to get up early again tomorrow. You know, beyond that, it was just like, Oh, I love this. So I just want to just keep doing, it. I didn't want it to end actually. So, but what I did know, I, I, where my gaps of knowledge were, were about, because I hadn't had that opportunity to trial it and see it. I had theory on it, you know, all the things about script structure and story structure and over the longer format um, and, and trying to, so I would lean on people. I would ask them, I'm, you know, I'm happy to be the dumbest person in the room. I don't really care. It's just like, you know, and so when I would, and Bennett Walsh was really fan, a great producer, great line producer, amazing guy. Um, I'd ask him a lot. What do you think of him? You know, in, in, you know, so, and then Jermaine McMicking, who's the cinematographer, incredible, incredibly talented guy. So, yeah, we'd, I'd, I would ask those guys a lot. You know, there's, I work with some pretty amazing people, crew mm-hmm. on this film. Um, but I knew what I needed to worry about. I knew not, I needed to really have a very clear vision, a very clear point of view, so that when I hired these people for their taste, I didn't matter that they'd done. A, a film like this, like Jermaine had never shot anything really like this. He'd done mm-hmm. True Detective and he'd done some, he'd done uh, Top uh, Top of the Lake and he'd done a couple of really interesting and beautifully shot Australian films. Um, but I could see the, the quality and the artistic um, aesthetic that, that Jermaine had. So I knew that's what I, that stylistically, I knew that was critical. That was a, a fundamental. And so I knew what fundamentals I needed mm-hmm. and I knew I would just say, all right, well, as we go, these are the fundamentals that are not negotiable. These have to be, I have to have these people and I have to have these lenses and I have to, we have to do it this way and this way. But I, once you get those fundamentals in place, then I just entrust really gifted crew to actually do their job and I let them do their job um, because it's not my job to get in there and fiddle around and micromanage mm-hmm. them. And we all hate that, right? I hate it when people micromanage us. So I wouldn't do that. So that is, that's ultimately, so I sort of felt secure in the knowledge that I had good people around me uh, to fill in my understanding gaps. Um, and then when we got into post, I mean, Dan Leventhal, the editor, was just incredible. I mean, he cut Iron Man and, as I jokingly say, all the man films, Spider- the last two Spider-Mans, Ant-Man and the Wasp Ant-Man. So um, he was amazing too, and, and I learned a great deal off him. So so it's like any of it. You know, we, we all do something for the first time. And I, th- and I really take my hat off and, and have great, um, you know, really... I'm very thankful to the guys at New Line who, who didn't see any of this that as a barrier. They knew right. that they they wanted someone who had a very single vision about what I wanted that match where they wanted to go with it as well. And um, they didn't. They weren't. They're not nervy people. They're brave. You know. They don't. They don't get worried about. Oh, but he's never done a feature. I mean, I'm sure they talked about it, but I guess there was enough evidence there that I built with the work. So they didn't really ever worry about it. Um, so yeah, I'm grateful to them for that. 
What did you mean a minute ago when you said if you shot a commercial and maybe it didn't work? Did you mean the agency didn't like it? You didn't like it structurally? It didn't work commercially? What do you, what do you mean by that? Oh, I mean, for myself, there were certain okay. things I might have tried stylistically and or there's a performance that you know, I was like, why is that performance not landing? Okay, what did I miss when I was casting that? Um, and it's probably stuff that people don't even, don't even wouldn't even notice. Mm. I didn't, you know, thankfully I haven't made any clangers. I'm not saying it's like, oh my God, that's un, unairable. I'm just saying, you know, there was the things I was trying to do. Right. Stylist, it's really trying to capture a tone and a feeling and how you create that on, on mm -hmm. film. And so it was my pursuit and I'm always searching for that. I'm always trying to find that's really, it's this very kind of thing in my mind where I'm always layering up the material and the like, okay, forget Jermaine to shoot it on those lenses. I know he's in Sean Conway's lighting it. And so those guys and and so I'm all, and then we'll get and then the costumes have to be a certain way. So you're always experimenting in that. And sometimes I've done things where and certainly I've done things and they worked. I was like, okay, now I know why that works. Like mm -hmm. at the time when I did the PlayStation commercial, there was a it was just at the time when so I'm getting a little bit granular here, but just to answer your yeah. question specifically. There was a time that was at the time when people were starting to, to shift over to digital. Mm -hmm. I really wasn't ready to do that because I didn't actually like anything visually what that was being shot digitally at the time. Mm -hmm. Since then, technology's advanced and 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 we've all learned how to use it properly, the gear, right? So so I don't, I don't really have a problem with it now, but at the time I, I really did because I actually just thought it all looked like it was just shot on video. And I just thought you, there was a, a lack of believability. It felt cheap and it felt, it just didn't have that. Um, um, it just didn't have that quality about it. So I stayed very strident about that. I said, we are shooting this on film. There is no way we are shooting this on, on digital. And the reason why was I had these uh, characters from all these different video games and all of the different video game companies to their own companies, they created the characters. So, um, and then they were, they were allowing probably contractually, I don't know, but they, they were allowing, you know, PlayStation and us to actually bring them to life. And they were really concerned. And I would have been concerned too. I absolutely would have been. They were very, that every right to be concerned. So I knew that, and I would say to people, well, this can't look like some bad Halloween party. This has to look serious and elegant and beautiful and it has to have a thickness and a quality to, the, to it. So that when we see that costume and that person and that, that character put together, then you you feel it feels elevated, not just kind of like, oh, I guess that looks like the per you know it had to have this cinematic weight behind it. Mm -hmm. So it was things like knowing when to dig in on no, we are shooting this on film mm -hmm. because that's not negotiable. That is a fundamental that I knew because of the trial and error I'd done up to that point that would would have really been a major problem had we not done it. And um, so, 
that's the sort of stuff I'm talking about. It's the executional things. Um, and I think the other thing that I learned in, in doing commercials is, is really there's a great deal of power in listening and, and accepting ideas from anywhere. And when you work in advertising, you're, I got so used to all my ideas just being put in a shredder daily. It was just a, you know, it really just knocks the edges off you. So in the end, I was like, that's fine. I don't care. I don't have to be the person who comes up with the idea. In fact, I'm often not the person who comes up with the idea, but I do know executionally how we should bring it about. So I would, um, I, I think there's great power in, in understanding and listening and collaborating. And, and I got really used to, because you can't really do it any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot of people, there's, you know, people who write the scripts and so forth, they, they have a point of view and a voice and they've written it a certain way and they want it to feel a certain way. And, and really being able to grab the best of what people can provide and then um, put that into the work is, is also something that I t- tried to work on and tried to, and I think that, you know, that was a very, I, I now really love that. I enjoy that process. I mean, there's some ideas that I don't use because I put it in and think, okay, is that going to work? Mm, that's not right. You know, like that. <laughs> Ludi Lin, who plays Liu Kang in the movie, I mean, he's such a beautiful guy, Ludi. He would almost every day on set come up to me and say, Simon, I've had an idea. <laughs> <laughs> and most of his ideas were fantastic. And what it was, it was just, and, and Max had great ideas and Lewis had, you know, so it was just a really good environment for everyone felt like, oh, okay, we can, we can offer ideas and um, didn't mean I used them all, but it was just kind of, I like that. I like that feel. I like creating that environment because then everyone feels like they're, they're really, not only do they feel like they're contributing, they are contributing and they're making the work better. So, mm. you know, it just makes me look a few IQ points smarter than I actually am. So, um, but yeah. You've got a, you know, a crazy a team there. I interviewed um, Joe Taslin, who plays Sub-Zero, a couple of days ago. He was telling me about some of the action scenes you, you guys shot together. And he, he comes from the raid, obviously. And um, I guess, like, ha- how do you kind of come on as a director? Do you, do you come on first? Is there, like, a first-day speech? Like, how, how do you make yourself open to these different types of things where you have these experts but still feel like, you know, you're running the set, I guess, or that might not be the right language, but you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you feel director-ish, but also open to collaboration? Or is it more about your demeanor? I think it's a lot to do with demeanor. I think it's also making it really clear to everyone, we are doing this in this direction. Okay. This is the stuff I want. And having it really organized in your mind and knowing exactly what you want to do so that no matter whether it's an actor or a crew member, uh, you stylistically and taste level and tonally, the approach is crystal clear and really consider how to articulate that. So that a director's job is not to, um, well, this is my opinion, that every director is different and that's what's great about what we do. Everyone's got a different approach. But the way I go about it is my job is to to make that super clear, to give support to super talented people and to create an environment where they feel really comfortable 
trying stuff, experimenting, maybe something doesn't work, but we gave it a go. Um, but the initial conversations are always about here is the direction we are going. And I think it's probably a demeanor thing. It's not even something I'm probably conscious of. Um, it's, I don't really need, I want to be, a, I don't raise my voice much. I don't, I, because I feel like all the work needs to get done in pre-production and planning. And we organize everything to such a degree and you choose and hire people who you know will be capable of doing that sort of thing. So you've got to entrust people. And then on the day, it all just, just happens because you've set everything up and then you're just nudging. And then what tends to happen is people start to see it's just happening. It's like this multi-brained organism, right? That's just, this thing just starts rolling on the tracks. It's like, shit, we're actually doing this. And because uh, you just know how to set that up and you know that when the actor gets in the costume and stands on the set that you've spent the last two weeks finding the location for and that's the location, that's the stuff that's in my head as I'm assessing everything. Okay, I know when Sonia Blade is standing here in this location where we've built her compound in the old disused boatyard at night, she's going to look killer because she's in this and this and Jess looks great. And she's very authentic. and blah, blah. So, and then it all just happens. And then, then you don't have to say anything as a director because everyone's looking around going, fuck, oh, that's pretty good. And every, you know, cause I've got director written under my name. Everyone goes, Oh, he must've done everything. Well, I haven't. It's just that I've got the, everything in, in order early a lot, you know, with lots of people helping, obviously it's not just me doing it, but then it just happens. And then, then it's just me nudging and making sure that it stays on the tracks. And there's sometimes something you'll, you'll theorize something, it'll, you'll come together and be like, nah, it's not quite working. Why isn't that working? Okay, let's think about that. Why doesn't that work? There are times that happens for sure. Um, but it's, um, um, and look, there's a, there's a, when you're working with a certain level of film crew person, they, they know how to operate. So you don't have to, and they just, they think, oh, we're doing this, this is this type of movie. Okay, this, we're doing this, this is the set, this is the vibe, great. I can just work and enjoy it. Um, and there's probably a lot more to it, but it's, that's ultimately what I'm trying to achieve there, is just to, is, is that. And then, you know, when, when, you know, one of the actors comes up and says, oh, what about this idea? I think, how's that going to sit against all those other things? And I'm sort of processing and think, yeah, that's a good idea. That, that, that'll really actually enhance that. Or no, we can't do that because we've got, you know, the, the next scene after this is this, and then therefore that won't make sense. Um, so you've got to be always thinking about that sort of stuff. Um, but it's just, uh, yeah, you I guess that's that's my waffly answer to your question. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.